there, Cape Cod. It's high noon on Wednesday. Time for Life with Gwen. I'm Gwen Friss. I'm Lifestyles Editor at the Cape Cod Times. And we are now in a season, I think the holiday season is upon us. Lots of recipes in today's paper if you're looking for Thanksgiving sides. And um, now that we are in the holiday season, we're thinking a lot about families. So our guest today, someone you may recognize, mm -hmm. uh, Rachel Devaney. Welcome, Hi. Rachel. Thank you for having me. She is um, a writer who has uh, appeared in, in several publications on the Cape, and uh, so you may recognize her name. Mm -hmm. But she also has been on a quest, and uh, she is here today to share how a tale of not one family, but two. Mm -hmm. A quest is a perfect way to describe it. Um, I was adopted in 1978 from El Salvador, and um, I went 40 years without uh, being in contact with my birth family. But uh, just last, about April of 2018, I met the, uh, my birth mother and found out that I had a grandmother and a brother and a sister. And since then, I, I really have been on a quest to really get to know them and to kind of blend these two families together. Because um, Devaney, that's that's Irish, right? It is, I, that is an Irish last name. Uh, my father, uh, who adopted me, his name is Bill Devaney, and his family comes from Ireland. So it's funny, I uh, as a reporter, a freelance reporter, I've talk to people on the phone all the time and I let them you know obviously they know my name and then when I go in to interview them they are quite shocked when I walk in the door a little confused don't know what's going on that you don't have my skin and no, red hair and I do not I do so. not so yeah it's definitely um, but that kind of brings the, the conversation up about you know oh how how'd you get that last name and then right. you know it, it really kind of piques people's interest I think. so this is your your uh, adoptive father mm -hmm. and uh, your adoptive mother. Mm -hmm. um, they're they're of Irish descent. So my father is uh, my adopted mother Judy. Mm -hmm. uh, she is. I think her family goes back to Sweden. Okay. Um, and you have she, a photo that you I brought, do. Right? This is she and I. I don't know if people can Just see. Just hold it. it up a little closer to the. Okay. We should, yes. You should brought your longer arms. I know, <laughs> short little arms. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, so, tell me about how how this search came about. You know, you um, grew up and and happy adoptive family, and I did. but but you know, you I think you had said to me that you felt like you were missing something that you needed to know. I did. Um, I started the search. Um, I. I think I believe it was 2008, 2009. Um, for a long time, I, I definitely had a lot of love in my adoptive family. That's something, you know, that really is important to remember. Um, I actually also have three adopted cousins, um, first cousins in my adoptive family. So, you know, we have the type of family that really takes people in. There's always room for one more in mm -hmm. our family. Um, but growing up on Cape Cod, um, obviously I am a person of color and it's predominantly um, white Americans here. And so it was always really hard for me to identify uh, with people and I did always feel that something was missing. I wanted to know where it came from. I wanted to know my heritage. And you know, I, I think that um, the curiosity also of who 
my birth mother was mm -hmm. and what what the circumstances behind my adoption were um, it really just I wanted to know a lot so I uh, was working for the committee in solidarity with the people of El Salvador which is a nonprofit organization um, that was headquartered in New York City but is now headquartered in DC and I had a mentor there his name was Manuel Villanueva and I used to talk to him and he would really encourage me to just, you know, just go look, just see, you know, it, it can't hurt. So he hooked me up with this organization called Pro Busquera, which is a nonprofit organization in El Salvador that reconnects families that were separated during the Civil War. Um, there was a 12-year Civil War in El Salvador. Um, and this organization has been reconnecting people since the end of the war, which was in 1992. So okay. they assisted me. I'm going to stop you for just mm -hmm. a second because I wanted to remind all of you out there, um, I know that uh, families are, are coming up with a lot of information because yes. you know they're getting the, the uh, DNA tests for, for gifts mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes they they are a big surprise they are a friend of mine recently found out that she's Jewish wow. and uh, you know had no idea and, and uh, I won't share that story because it's her story but um, a lot of people are are finding that that there's things in their background that they're right. that they're looking for and if you have questions for Rachel please type them in mm -hmm. and we'll ask her and uh, if we don't know the answers we'll try to find them so if you're interested in your heritage and um, and you're you know at a stumbling block or something go ahead and type in the question we'll try to get it answered so back to your story so the basis uh, of Pro Busqueda is DNA tests, like you said, they have a DNA database there. Um, UC Berkeley is the place where all the DNA is analyzed and then is sent back to the organization where they try to make matches in mm -hmm. their database, their DNA database. Um, unfortunately for me, there was no match. Uh, so I kind of went, I would say about six or seven years without any answers, but I kept in touch with the organization. And you're about what age now I've, while this is going on? Oh. This was, I was about 30, mm -hmm. 31, um, and nothing came about. So I and went. We should say that yeah. you had a daughter of your own. I do. Her name is Fresia, and she, I had her when I was 31 in New York City when I was living there. And that was another thing. I really did want her to be able to grow up knowing um, our, you know, where we came from. Both, um, both the Devaney's and absolutely. the unknown family. Right, absolutely. And, you know, it just was really important to me since I grew up without that. I wanted her to be able to have a piece of her culture. So um, that was important to me as well. So what ended up happening, to make a long story short, is that uh, they used my adoption papers and they went back to uh, the village where my birth mother um, had been living at the time of my adoption. Because they, the adoption papers had your mother's they did. Birth, uh, your mother's name? They did, yes. They had her name and they had an identification number. So they went to the town hall in that village. They went there twice. The first time they found nothing. The second time there was a woman working at the counter and she um, opened the birth certificate and said, you know, why are you looking for my aunt? She ended up being my, one of my, it was first or second cousin. Mm -hmm. And so she called my birth mother on the phone and said, hey, you know, these people are here looking for you. And what transpired is that I, she actually hadn't told anybody 
about my birth. So your birth was, mother. Right. So this was a big surprise to the rest of my family on that side as well. So it was something, you know, a real heavy burden that she'd been carrying with her for almost 40 years. And, you know, this it was time for her to really come forward and say, yes, I did have a child. Um, so then after that, there, it took another almost another year to actually connect us because they had to have both of us do another DNA test just to make sure that they that had the right person. Right. So we ended up doing another DNA test and um, ProBoscada pays for all this, by the way, and even the analyzations, everything. Um, and it turned out 99.9% that was my birth num birth mother. So it was, it was quite an, an adventure. Yeah. It um, and and I'm going to ask you for some some more detail and some more photographs, which you were kind mm -hmm. enough to bring. Uh, but uh, before I do, um, I wanted to ask about this organization. Does it just work with families in El Salvador, all indigenous people, or yes. what's the group? So uh, Probosqueta, it was formed um, because of so many people that had been disappeared during that civil war. Uh, the government, um, which was assisted by the United States, really took a lot of children away and there were some um, black market adoptions going on at that time. So Probosqueda was formed to kind of try to figure out their way through these all these disappearances and really connect people. So yes, Probosqueda only um, will work with uh, indigenous families from El Salvador. But we have to remember that if somebody was adopted from El Salvador, chances are you're indigenous. Um, mm -hmm. Central and South American people are all ancestors of indigenous so tribes. So your, uh, your background is a member of a tribe down yes. there. So and what is your tribe called? So my uh, birth grandmother, who is 94 years old, she tells me stories all the time about her youth, and she is a descendant of the Papel Nation. Um, and we also, most likely, we can't, you know, say this for sure, have Mayan blood in us as well. So it's a little bit of a mix. Uh, the Mayan um, ruins are actually just across the border in Guatemala, um, not far from where she grew up. So. So let's go back to, to your story, mm -hmm. because uh, from what you told me before, um, the uh, remind me now the year of your birth is uh 1978 okay 1978 yes and um and your mother made a decision she did so yes. that you you were not involved in a in a black market uh, um, adoption no i was not um but one of the criteria that probuscada uses um to kind of determine if they're going to help somebody find their family or not mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, a lot of women um, from third world countries, uh, especially Central America, were pressured, very, very, very highly pressured to give their children up for whatever reason. And that was her circumstance. So technically she signed the paper, mm -hmm. but there was a lot, a lot of, of pressure. pressure coming from her employers okay. and adoption lawyers. Tell, tell us the story of what she was going through at that time. So um, this was, the, the war started in 1980, but the whole five years before that, it was kind of, you know, getting up to that. Um, and the villages in uh, El Salvador were being um, persecuted because the government was looking to find 
people that were guerrillas and, and they were fighting against the government. So a lot of uh, people had to kind of go back and forth into the city to find jobs mm -hmm. because there were no jobs in, rural in the areas, villages. Right. So. so my birth mother had to travel to San Salvador um, and work for two weeks to a month at a time mm -hmm. and then travel back to her village, give my birth grandmother the money so that she could take care of my brother and my sister that were with my grandmother. So she was working as a domestica in San Salvador and she, um, her employer, when she did get pregnant with me, said, listen, you know, you're going to have to make a decision here. And she just applied a lot of pressure and told her, you're going to lose this job. Um, I know somewhere where you can take the baby. And, you know, it'll be easy. It'll be quick. And, you know, you'll never have to worry about this again. And unfortunately, that process really, really kind of derailed her, caused her a lot of trauma. Um, and I know at one point she did try to uh, get me back, but it was already too late and they, you know, they were going to charge her with fraud and put her in jail if she continued to try to get me back. Um, all of this was unknown to my adopted family. They had no idea that uh, the government was facilitating adoptions like this. Um, and had no idea the pain and the turmoil that my birth mother was going through. Um, a lot of Americans were adopting from El Salvador at that time, uh, just because uh, a, the government was facilitating all these adoptions mm -hmm. and just really pushing them. And out. so, for your for your birth, for your adopted family, mm -hmm. it uh, it was it was just that they were providing a home for a child who needed Correct. one, yes. and they didn't have any of this context and and uh, Correct. and. Right. I, I actually think I've met your mother, your Probably. adoptive mother, yeah. because um, yeah. um, we were, I think we all went out or something. I'm I, trying to remember. Probably at some so. one party or another. Yeah. Yes. She um, is extremely, incredibly brave. She flew into El Salvador by herself during your the war. Your adoptive mother. My adoptive mother, Judy. Mm -hmm. um, she stayed at, you know, a little kind of like a hostel where these adoption agencies had the American families go to to wait for their babies. And she stayed there by herself. She went through an earthquake. Um, and we actually ended up staying there for, and I could be wrong on this, but I think it was like almost a month we were stuck there. Mm -hmm. And I found out all these years later that the reason why we were stuck there is because my birth mother was fighting the adoption. But she didn't know, know that, that right. right and the lawyers were just trying to get her out of the country so that they would get paid and you know that would be that so, one more cog in the system right right exactly. so now tell me what is your birth mother's name uh alba alba yes and her last name uh it's uh garcia osorio okay right I'm not going to try that. <laughs> yeah. I've already inflicted my bad French on the world. Oh, I don't okay. think I'll, I'll try the bad uh, no Spanish. No worries. It's a Spanish-speaking country? Uh, Spanish-speaking country, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, and do you also speak Spanish? I've been trying. Um, there has definitely been, since I've met my birth family, uh, some people in my birth family speak English and some don't. Mm -hmm. So my birth mother happens to not speak English, and I don't speak Spanish. So it's been quite a journey trying to communicate, trying to get to know each other. Um, but she's been really good about taking it slow with me and, you know, trying to teach me a little bit along the way. And I've been trying to teach her English. Uh -huh. So that's been kind of cool going back and forth. Yeah. So 
Let's go back to the narrative. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, 1978 yes. and your mother is, is making a heart-wrenching uh, decision yes. um, that really isn't her decision. She's concerned that she won't be able to feed her other Correct. two children and her mother yes. if, um, if she doesn't keep this job as a domestic worker. Right. So... Um, so as as you move forward, mm -hmm. uh, tell me a little bit about. Um, um, let's bring it up to the what year, what day did you guys meet finally? We met um, actually. It's right here. Um, we met in April seventeenth of twenty eighteen. I have longer arms. Okay, now those are my two mothers. My adopted mother, Judy, I mean, yes, Judy, and my birth mother, Alba, and that is the first, on the day we met. Um, and and it I was we in flew April, to, did you say? April, yes, April uh -huh. 17th of 2018. Oh, what and a we wonderful flew, picture. We flew to L.A. to meet everybody, and we had quite um, the welcoming. And tell me about that welcoming. What to... Uh, um, it's wonderful that, that you have your two moms yes. in an embrace here. Yes. Uh, tell me, you know, what was it like? Uh, it was surreal. It really was like an outer body experience. Like it didn't seem like I was even there, but I was obviously. Um, but the first person that ran and embraced me was my little niece. Mm -hmm. And she is like right here. Uh, this is my little niece with my daughter, Fresia. And she just gave me the biggest hug and was so happy to meet this long lost aunt that she didn't know she had. Um, and her name is Sarah, but we call her Sarita. And, you know, we can see in this picture that there's some family resemblance. There is. There is. We look a, uh, a lot alike, me and my sister. This is at her wedding uh, this past August. And this um, is a picture of my birth family, my sister, and my brother. Um, and that's when they came to visit Cape Cod. And that was about a year ago. Yeah. Now, do you have siblings with your adoptive family, the I Devaney's? Do. Yes. So I grew up with my two brothers, Jeremy and Michael. Mm -hmm. um, Jeremy's 10 months younger than me, and uh, Michael is 12 years younger than me. So, but we oh, also. So you, you were the first child in I the was, family. I was. That means I'm the boss. They know ah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because, uh, you know, two little brothers. Yes. Too. To help raise, yes. it, uh, that would put you in a boss position. Oh, yes. I used to carry my little brother, Michael, all over the place. I mean, he was like my little baby. So, yeah, we all grew up together. And then um, I have my brother, Edwin, and my sister, Wendy, from my birth family. Yeah. And uh, are those Americanized names? Because they so, seem pretty American. Edwin is actually a pretty... Uh, common name in Central and South America, I would say. Um, but Wendy, actually, it's, you say it Wendy, but it's spelled G-U-Y-E-N-D-Y. -Y. So oh, there's see. a different spelling, mm -hmm. um, but it's pronounced Wendy, like here. But yeah. So, you know, there is so much joy in what you were talking about with yeah. finding your birth family mm -hmm. and um, and uh, also uh, having your adoptive family, also a happy uh, upbringing for you. But, but I imagine that there were some things you learned along the way in terms of, you know, opening your heart but making sure that everyone felt included. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, it actually, it wasn't, 
too hard uh, with my adopted family. I think I had been talking about looking for my birth family for so long that they weren't really surprised when this happened. Um, and I think it's more about getting to know each other's cultures, mm -hmm. getting to know each other's backgrounds, and remembering that these two sides of the family make one. We've all been able to really come together. Um, there were, there is obviously difficulties with communication because of the language barriers, um, but just really kind of embracing our differences and getting to know where I came from has been something that really stuck us all together. And actually also got my uh, adopted mother, Judy, through you know some hard times. She had to kind of really be open to meeting uh, another woman that you know gave birth to me and that it wasn't easy for her to do, but a year and a half later, she's really risen to the occasion and has really shown her strength as my mom and to support me. Yeah. And that part of, of your story mm -hmm. has actually um, had you speaking recently yes. at Bridgewater State University. Correct. So tell me a little bit about the project you're involved with there. So the exhibit is called Matriarchal Strength, um, and it basically highlights uh, 13 images uh, that have been kind of blown up to a life-size uh, pictures. And they're pictures that I've taken over the last year and a half of my family. Um, and it, the exhibit really revolves around my grandmother a lot. Uh, like I said, she's 94. So the exhibit has these photos, but it also has written content, uh, stories that she's shared with me from her youth, um, stories about living through the war, stories about um, you know her sister, my great aunt, who was executed by the government, along with four of her sons. So this exhibit is really there to tell these stories and give a voice uh, to people that aren't often heard. Um, another thing about my family is that they, most of my family members have migrated here as asylum seekers from Central America. And this exhibit is to really tell that story. Um, whether people agree with asylum seeking immigration, um, this is to really just give a voice to people that are never heard and to share their stories and to kind of educate people on the circumstances behind immigration. Um, you know, there are people that are coming to this country, they're running from danger, they're running from cartels, they're running from a lack of job opportunities, economic collapse, uh, extreme, extreme right-wing governments that are not serving the people. And they're just looking for basic human rights. And my family, uh, my birth family, have, have really gone through that. that. These are real stories that they've gone through crossing uh, the Mexican desert into Texas, being detained in detention centers. Um, as much joy as I have um, being able to meet my birth family, it's also really been an eye-opener for me as an American to um, of what my, my family has gone through and what maybe I would have been going through had I not been adopted. So it's important to me to give them a voice and allow them to share that with other people, and the poster over our head, yes, is uh, from uh, is from your exhibit. It is, and yes. Who is with your your grandmother so there? So that is my niece Sarita, 
And that was from my sister's wedding this past August. And I caught a couple really great shots with the two of them. And Sarita is actually the youngest as well. So to have her paired along there with my grandmother, who's almost 100, is it was pretty special for me to capture. Yeah. And, you know, not only is it a matter of over the years, but, but also now that they're in your life, it's a matter of over the miles. Are they in, is your, most of your birth family in California now? They are, yes, mm -hmm. everybody is. So, um, except for my cousin Darwin, who actually came to Bridgewater and spoke on the day of the opening of my exhibit um, to tell his tale about uh, coming across the Mexican desert into Texas. And now he's a, you know, he's a green card holder. He's a proud business owner. And he also employs many other immigrants that need help um, mm -hmm. here in the States. And this is Darwin. Um, he's along with my brother. And he actually lives in Vegas. Okay, which brother is this? That is Michael. Michael and Darwin is my cousin. Yeah. So, yeah. so we are winding up, but I, I want to sure. be sure to mention a couple mm -hmm. of things. Yes. One, we love your earrings. Oh, thank you. And you made those. <laughs> I did make these. Not, um, not to do with anything, no. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> I do. I actually have um, an Etsy shop, which is called Mayan Scribe. There's no space between Mayan and scribe. So if you look it up on Etsy, make sure those two are pushed together and okay. you'll find my whole shop there. And Did you do that beading? And I, yes. uh, I, I'm lucky enough to know these things because Rachel's a Facebook friend. <laughs> yes. I wanted to mention quickly that the food you put out for these family gatherings yeah. is just amazing. Thank what you. what's um what is is there an Ecuadorian dish that you've learned to make and, and have you given um a, a American dish to to your family out there? It's so funny because um every time I cook uh for my family, um there's all these different dishes that I have, and everybody's like, "Where? how does this all come together? But I make jag a lot, which is Cape Verdean. I grew mm -hmm. up with so many awesome Cape Verdean people that um, really embraced me as I grew up on the Cape. Um, so I make jag a lot, kale soup. Um, and then I learned how to make pupusas from my birth family. And mm -hmm. pupusas is a, it's an indigenous dish that goes back thousands and thousands of years they have been they're made with corn and they have all kinds of different filling they are so good i think you could uh, share that recipe with us i can put that in the cape cod times it is we definitely will have to bring my cousin back to assist because <laughs> i can't do it by myself um but you know that's really part of the fun part about meeting my birth family has really been reconnecting with my culture and reconnecting with who I am as an indigenous woman. And that's, it's so powerful for me to be able to do that. And I'm so grateful. Yeah. And we don't want to forget that you have a partner who is uh, part of the Wampanoag tribe who has he been is. with you. Tell us a little bit about him. Yes, so um, his name is Juarez Stanley. And I met him, I guess it's almost seven years ago. And he, his family, um, they are Wampanoag and they are pridefully from Mashpee. And they've really embraced me um, also as an indigenous woman with so much love. And they always, you know, make sure that, um, you know, they've actually really become some of my adopted family as well. Mm -hmm. And I do want to mention that it is Native American Heritage Month. So, you know, we, we should remember that um, when we're enjoying our Thanksgiving dinner to also give thanks to all the Native people out there, especially from the Wampanoag tribe um, that are, will be remembering their ancestors and giving thanks for, you know, still being here. So, 
Yeah. Well, we are so grateful that you were here with us today, and uh, I think we learned so much. I'm, I'm uh, so happy for you Thank in you. this accomplishment, Thank you. in this tale, and um, your exhibit is up through when? Through January, and then I am hoping, I'm in talks uh, with having it at the Zion Heritage, Mu uh, Heritage Museum in Hyannis. Right here, yep, yep right around the corner. That's my that's where I'd like to have it, where I'm still trying to figure that out, but it will be definitely be an opening here on the Cape. Okay, if you're, if you're a member of that uh, museum, uh, let them know. We'd like to get I Rachel's to exhibit there. Yes. In the meantime, you can go to Bridgewater State and uh, see Correct. it in see it there. Mm -hmm. And we wish you all a uh, happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays as you explore your own families. Thank you.